0: And we are back this week, once again, back on the Deacons Roundtable here on WSFI FM 88.5 here on your radio dial or firadio.org. Just remember, there's a collection button put, so Angela will be happy when I say that. I'm here today with Deacon Mike Alandi from St. Mar- Mary of the Annunciation in Mundelein, Illinois. Deacon Dave Egan from somewhere in Tennessee that none of us have figured out, but he d- evidently has power in that part of Tennessee, so that's good. We are missing Deacon... Uh, Richard Hudzik, who has other commitments for a while, but we have a, a new cleanup hitter from the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. Yay! Yay. The uh, Deacon Eric Sewell. Sewell,
1: Sewell yes. Sewell. Uh,
0: from St. Lucie area of Racine, another parish. He's going to tell us a little bit about himself before we get started, and then we will get to our very special guest, Deacon Deg Condra.
1: After a very long and winding road, I was ordained in 2012 in the Mar- Milwaukee Archdiocese. Um, I've been a longtime member of St. Sebastian's in Sturdivant, and Sturdivant, as you go up towards Milwaukee, is right by the Racine exit, a small Catholic church that is happy and growing right now. Um, For the last five years, I worked down here in Zion, Illinois, was a chaplain at Cancer Treatment Centers of, uh, of America for the last five years. I just retired in September. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank you. I have my wife, Judy, and I have uh, two children, Angela and Matthew, and four grandchildren.
0: Very cool. I was going to say that there's still two deacons here that do work, but Mike's a consultant, so I don't think I can really That's not really, really say that. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: don't know. I'm semi-retired now.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, welcome. We're glad you're with us here, and we'll learn more about you as we go on. But uh, uh, we have a very—I'm not uh, Greg Webster from St. Ray for the Archangel. As Dave Egan always reminds me, I forget to say— uh, we have a very special guest today. When I uh talk to my children and I and I talk a little bit about uh being Chicago, we're we're big Robert Barron friends and I like to point out the fact that Robert Barron is the most downloaded person in social media outside of the Pope. Mm. But mm. if I was to tell my children who is the most popular, well known, downloaded person in social media from the diaconate community, I certainly would say De- deacon G- Greg Condra from the diocese of brooklyn in new york if i got that right greg and yes, you uh, did. <laughs> he is he is well known for some of his books we'll talk about his work with the catholic near east welfare association and probably what most every deacon checks in at some time during the week the deacons benth blog on the internet so welcome deacon greg we are very honored that you have taken some time to be with us today oh thank you i'm thrilled to be here so, Deacon Greg, we talked a little bit about Eric uh, with Eric, but we're going to talk to him a little bit longer in some of our other shows because we have you on the line. But could you tell us how that you found the diaconate? What's your story?
3: Well, the the crux of it really was my experience of nine eleven uh, here in New York. Uh, at the time, I was a writer and producer for CBS News here in New York, and on September eleventh, I was. Um, I was a writer producer actually for a show called 60 minutes Two, which was the Wednesday night spinoff of 60 minutes. And after the attack happened in the morning, I was sent over to the newsroom uh, across the street uh, to write special reports all day long for Dan rather and company as, as the day went on and being in the middle of that, seeing those towers fall again and again and again and again all day long of, uh, 13 or 14 hours, I was over there and having to stay overnight in New York, I couldn't leave the city, I couldn't go home, they had shut down all the roads and the tunnels and the bus and everything else. And really being in, in the heart of it and in the center of it, right when it happened, and then in the days after, as we were trying to recover from it, really shifted my thinking and really made me think differently about my life and my values and what I had done with my life and I started thinking more seriously about my faith. And one of the things I did was I made a retreat to a Trappist monastery in Atlanta, Georgia, Our Lady of the Holy Spirit. And one of the people I met there happened to be a Catholic deacon, and I didn't know any deacons at all in my life. Um, You know, we we had had one in my parish years earlier, but I never really encountered him, and uh, that was before I had moved into the parish. But one of the people who preached at one of the services was a deacon. And while I was sitting there listening to him, I was deeply, deeply moved, watching him on the altar and and listening to him, and something just spoke to my heart, that's what you should be doing. And uh, the rest is history. I know there are guys who who wrestle with this decision for years, and go back and forth, you know, should I do it, shouldn't I do it, are my kids too young, am I too old? I made the decision in a matter of weeks, and mm. just a few weeks after that, I was accepted into the program for the fall. That was in uh, 2002, and I was ordained in 2007. And here I am talking to you.
1: <laughs> wow!
0: Oh, that was a great story. You know, a lot of people I've I've read about joining the military after being those. What you saw in, in 9/11, you went into the diaconate. I, is there anything there that's a corollary that I'm missing, or is that?
3: Uh, <laughs> you know, I. I think this is a story that is yet to be told of the impact that that event had on so many people and so many people whose lives were changed by it in, in negative ways and in good ways. I think a lot of other people gave up what they were doing to do something else. I've heard this from other people uh, deciding to give their lives uh, in, in service to someone else. I know the story I often tell about my father in World War II. Uh, he had grown up in the coal mines of Pennsylvania and graduated high school in the middle of the Depression. There were no opportunities, no jobs. His family had no money. They were poor. There were uh, immigrants from Czechoslovakia. And with nothing to do and no prospects uh, in the future at all, he decided to join the Christian Brothers and went down to LaSalle in Philadelphia and got an education and became a school teacher. and right before he was going to take his final vows as a christian brother pearl harbor happened and i think he knew in his heart that this he didn't have a really strong vocation and he gave all that up and joined the army and uh i'm here because of that
0: when they uh and here in chicago we have a program called uh renew my church which a lot of the cities are are, are doing where you know, consolidating parishes and, and the like but one aspect of Renew My Church is, is trying to re-evangelize or to evangelize the parishes. And and I when I was listening to your story, I was wondering, how do we take, in, in your opinion, you know, you, we had a, a, a dramatic event that, that made a change in your life. How do we keep it going? I mean, obviously, we don't want to knock down buildings every day to, to increase vocations and things like that. But... But what's the lesson we can take away from that? What's something we can build on? Do you have you ever thought about that?
3: You know, that's a really good question. Um, I think the the best witness we can give is is our lives, as always. Um, it's you know reminding people of what really matters, and it's easy to forget about that. You know, I was thinking last September 11th. There's a whole generation of young people who have come of age who have no memory of life before September 11th. Two thousand one, They don't remember what it was like. And I'm sure it was like this during World War II and, you know, the Kennedy assassination, all these other major events in our history that, that had such a deep impact on us. And we seem to move on and just forget about them. And you do need to move on and you do need to absorb them into your life. But you, you can't forget what it was like and the lessons that we learned from that. And it's so easy, I think, to get distracted by that. Um, You know, in the the world that we live in right now, it's it fades into memory, and uh, and people forget. And it's
1: important that we not forget, and that we keep reminding ourselves. So, Greg, moving forward, then, how did all that affect your formation, and then your future ministry? What effect did it have as you're going through those years of study?
3: Uh, I don't know that it had that powerful an effect. One of the interesting things in, about my class, we began formation, uh, our diaconate program had been suspended for five years to bring it into conformity with the new norms from the USCCB. And so ours was the first class in five years. And when I went to the first meeting in a high school cafeteria in the fall of 2002, we had over 100 men and their wives in the meeting. And that was eventually winnowed down, and we ended up ordaining 53 in uh, in 2007. We had two ordinations uh, yeah. on two different weekends. And ours was the first class, and it was really an experiment. And a lot of the things that they're doing now, uh, they were not doing when I was in formation. So it was we were sort of making it up as we go along <laughs> in a lot of the things that we learned. But... Um, I think for myself, one of the things I noticed, many of the men in my class, and this may be true for deacons everywhere, I don't know, but many of the men in my class were retired cops or mm. people who had worked in law enforcement or somehow had this background for many years of wanting to be of service. And the diaconate was a natural extension of that. So I think many of us who went into it, maybe it was because of, of that particular moment in history felt a desire to want to do something and and to make a difference and to to do something right and something good
0: i think in our experience at least for mike and i since we're in the same cohort is i was a uh for lack of a better word amazed that we had a high per- percentage of people from rcia in in our cohort. Oh. so we had a lot of, we have a lot of deacons that who were converts god bless them we're glad to hear by all means but I wonder if that says something for what is RCIA doing that that Catholic schools, Catholic high schools, CCD is not doing, right? So uh, yeah, that's always a question. But you know, you talked earlier about the 9 nine eleven in the moment in your life. I've always talked with my daughter's my oldest daughter's twenty six, and I said, you know, I had the I had the Challenger, I had the uh, you know blown up. I saw that. I saw the t- coming down of the the Berlin Wall, and I saw nine eleven. And I, I keep talking to my daughter. I go, what's your nine eleven? you know because because it's amazing because mm-hmm. they talked about the other uh, you know even the german people i work with at the company i work with i don't think they to them they're they're young enough now that that the berlin wall coming down is is something they may have saw in the history book but you know for us they had the anniversary of how cool it is and uh and i, and I hope my daughter doesn't have to see a 911 or doesn't have to see a uh a challenger or things like that but i think you're, you know you touched on that each generation has that 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 awakening that moment where maybe life gets real again.
3: You know, I remember we just marked the anniversary of the Berlin Wall, as you mentioned, and I was working for CBS News Radio at that time, and one of our stringers who was a regular contributor for CBS, uh, radio reporter in Germany, when this was happening in the days after, he described... Walking through the streets of Berlin and seeing the celebrations and seeing the wall having come down and everything, and weeping because he just never imagined that he would live to see something like that. It was such an overwhelming experience, um, and I think uh, yeah, there are there are moments like that, that that burn themselves into your memory.
0: So, would you say in the uh, the dio- it's diocese of Brooklyn, right? Is, yeah. the, is the Diaconate today as, as are they, do you have as many candidates that they did? With, when, you t- when you went through, we had those 2-2 two, two ordination ceremonies. Would you say it's going as strong, as, or is it, is it kind of weighing down? I don't know how many people are going to be in Milwaukee this year. We, we go anywhere from 7 to 20.
1: Uh, really. The class they have that's about to be ordained is down to actually 2. The class that's behind it, there's 16. Yeah. And okay. But remember, they go every other year in Milwaukee. You're, you're a class. Yeah, we have
3: a class every other year in brooklyn and it's usually between um 12 and 20 uh you know 53 was <laughs> really exceptional it was that was an anomaly uh it sort of uh diminished a little bit uh the fervor isn't you know what it was and you know that's uh that's a concern because we have guys who are getting older and retiring and just like with the priesthood you, you need to replenish that. And uh, we need to keep reminding people of of the value and the importance of the diaconate.
1: Well the word I hear in the Milwaukee Archdiocese is that in the past they've always had a fervor of candidates, always had lots of candidates, lots of candidates show up. And, uh, but in the last maybe four to six years that intensity, that is starting to wane. They're actually having to go out and to do more recruiting, more information, all these things. So there is, I believe, a shift going on as we continue age in our parishes.
0: And I think it's something that we have to remember because we have to invite people, right? We're, we're not a club that's uh, exclusive, <laughs> and it's, it's more of we have to invite
2: well, people. Well, one other thing is, I know, somebody else prepares our universal prayer, okay? And occasionally we pray for vocations. And one of the things I noticed is they'll pray for vocations for the priesthood, for the religious life, and nothing for the deaconate. Well, so you can write it in, Mike. No, I didn't <laughs> write it in, I said it. I said, wait a minute. So I just said, yeah, priests, why the pastor religious
3: life, and,
2: and, and deacons. And from then on, they started to write deacons.
3: My, my i Not just write ordained. That is so true. It, I noticed somebody posted something on Twitter yesterday of, an, of the cover of a program for a, uh, I think it was a 40-hours devotion that they were having for vocations. And on the cover of the program at this particular parish, it was for vocations to the priesthood, religious life, and for seminarians. And there was no mention of deacons.
0: Exactly. You know,
3: that's,
0: we need to change the way that, that the people who do this think. We certainly do. I think in Chicago... We certainly need a lot more religious, a lot more sisters, and a lot Mm -hmm. more priests. Yes. We have a lot of deacons. We always need more, want more. But, you know, if in terms of uh, where the need is, it's certainly in in those particular areas. How about Tennessee, Dave?
4: Um, At this point, the actual classes, I guess, are one every five years. Then they sit back and then try and uh, see where they failed and where they succeeded and modify the program from there. They... The Catholic population down here is actually quite low. It's a very Christian community, but the Catholic percentage is quite low. So I think they're probably, they're probably a good point for supply and demand. There's also something really? else which was very interesting, is that you made a point about the RCAA uh, people in your uh, classes. Down here, I so far, I have met like four or five priests who were converts from other religions. And so this is sort of interesting. That is interesting. What diocese is that? I'm in Knoxville now. I was in Chicago, oh. but now I retired and now
3: in Knoxville. That's uh, Bishop Sticker? Yep. Yeah, I, I'm friends with him on Twitter. <laughs> oh. Twitter and Facebook. He's very active on social media. Oh. oh, yes, he is.
0: Put in a good word for Dave. <laughs> yeah, I need all the help I can get. You know, it's also interesting. We In, in our parish, and of course we, we have... Uh, being so close to Mundelein Seminary, we have uh, seminarians from all over the world, um, and our parish tends to get uh, seminarians from Dubuque, in that area, and uh, a lot of those vocations come from Iowa State University. Really? You know, so, you know, and and I, I think that's kind of cool. I think that's a sign of life, a sign of hope that we don't have to, uh, you know, you would think it would be Loras College and all those other great Catholic institutions. But uh, Iowa State University Which is uh, probably more Catholic than Notre Dame But we're going into break, I don't have to talk about that uh, <laughs> But anyway, this is uh, We're talking with Deacon Kendra At uh, the Deacons Roundtable WSFI 88.5 on your dial We'll be back after these few short messages This is Wes Riccio from the Holy Family Catholic Bookstore, wishing the fullness of God's blessings upon all those who will soon be receiving a sacrament for the first time. If you have a child, grandchild, or godchild being baptized, receiving their first Holy Communion, or being confirmed, remember that Holy Family has the area's largest selection of gifts, accessories, and supplies to make their special day more memorable. The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information, including a virtual tour, is available on Facebook. WSFI is on social media. Follow us on Twitter at WSFI FM and like us on Facebook by searching for WSFI Catholic Radio. We are back on the Deacon's Roundtable at WSFI FM 88.5 on your radio dial and we are talking with Deacon Greg Condra from the very famous uh, Deacon blogger from the Deacon's Bench in the Diocese of Brooklyn, New York and uh, Deacon Greg can we talk to you a little bit about your, your blog?
2: Yeah, the sure. Greg. I've, I've been looking at your website. It's it's phenomenal. Could you tell us more about
3: it? Sure. Um, I started the blog right after I was ordained in two thousand and seven. Um, at the time, I w- I was working at CBS, and I had moved from uh, Sixty Minutes Two, which ended up being canceled. I became the founding editor and creator of Katie Couric's blog at CBS called Couric uh, and Company. So I knew a little bit of the blogging world, and I had a lot of friends. Uh, a good friend of mine was Elizabeth Scalia, is Elizabeth Scalia, better known as The Anchorist. And uh, i sort of been introduced to the world of Catholic blogging, and in my formation and so forth, I realized that there weren't any blogs by deacons. And so I had a little bit of time. I took a couple of weeks vacation after I was ordained and decided, why not? So I created, uh, I went to uh, blogger.com and I created a template and created something just off the top of my head that I called the Deacon's Bench. And I figured this would be an interesting you know, venue to talk about what it's like being a newly ordained deacon and the things that I do and uh, you know talk about stuff that might be of interest to people like me. And it just sort of took off from there. I went, it was picked up about a year later from Beliefnet and then after that, I moved to Pathios. From so Pathios, bounced briefly over to Alatea, and then I went back to Pathios two years ago. When uh, and all of the the changes were usually because of management for one reason or another. And I've been at Pathios now for uh, for about two years.
0: Who do you think is your our ma- uh, deacons? Your main audience, or do you have do you, have, do you know the demographics of your uh, your site?
3: Uh it's it's a lot of clergy, it's uh priests and deacons and I get a few nuns, uh I guess seminarians. Um and I also get some bishops. Uh once in a great while Bishop Barron will will leave a comment, or Bishop Sticker or um, I think it's Bishop Talley who is now in Memphis, uh, leaves a comment periodically. It's interesting. A wide, wide range of people. Um, who have discovered the blog and check in uh, on it from time to time. Uh, I try to post my homilies every week or every week when I'm, I'm preaching. I'm not preaching as much as I used to. Uh, and I used to get a huge uh, surge of readership on Saturday mornings for people <laughs> looking for ideas for their homilies <laughs> for the weekend.
2: <laughs> so find, Dick and Greg,
4: how do you decide like what stories to actually go through? I mean, there's a plethora of stories out there so what makes what type of story are you looking for to put in the blog?
3: well first i'm I'm always looking for stories about deacons. I mean, that's my main uh, you know subject matter, and I think my my core audience. so I'm always looking for anything that's about deacons or why deacons. obviously, all the stuff that's been discussed about uh, women deacons lately and deacons in the Amazon becoming priests and things like that. Uh, I try to to write about and post stories about as much as possible, but basically it's anything that I think is important or significant in the Church, and that I find really interesting or unusual, and it could be uh, anything or anyone that just strikes me as something unusual that you don't hear about very much, or or something out of the ordinary, something that, you know, I would define as news one way or another. Uh, There are some stories that get picked up all over the place, and because they get picked up all over the place, I tend to uh, overlook them unless I can find an interesting take on them. And an example of that was the Fulton Sheen story with uh, the date being set for his beatification. Uh, And I did find something interesting to say about it uh, the day after it was announced, uh, the, uh, the confluence of his beatification happening on December the 21st, which is also the feast of St. Peter Canisius, and the significance of that, and uh, you know what we can take from that, and it being right before Christmas, and with the old antiphons and things like that. But uh, basically, it's, it could be anything or, or anyone that, that strikes me as interesting and that people might want to know about.
0: Can you think of a time uh, when you were putting on a blog that you were emotionally against? Or academically against, or how do you how do you fight the bias of whether you're for it, against it, or in the middle, or or how, how do you deal with that? Well, the other thing
3: that I try to do as much as I can is to remind people that it's a big church, and there are a lot of different viewpoints and a lot of different orthodoxies and a lot of different ways of being Catholic. And I try whatever I can, you know, unless it's just, you know, crazy or, or weirdly inappropriate to give different viewpoints and different perspectives on things. Just because I post something on the blog, uh, or a particular story or a particular viewpoint doesn't necessarily mean that I agree with it, but it's a, a perspective that I think people should know about. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but it's, Yeah, there are a lot of things that I don't necessarily agree with, but somebody important or significant is talking about it. I think people should know about it. And so I'll put that out there. And if there's anything that is somehow contradicting Church teaching, one of the things I try to do is let the Church have the last word and remind people that this is what the Church teaches about subject X, Y, or Z.
0: Do you find it's
4: One of the things that I have noticed on your blog site, which is rather interesting that, correct me if I'm wrong, that there seems to be, uh, any controversial subject, there seems to be a lot more conservative comments than there are liberals. Um, is that true, and why is that the case? Is, is, are you striking more of
3: a nerve with one group than the other? I think conservatives are probably more outspoken and um, more protective and and defensive uh, about the faith in ways that are both good and bad <laughs> um, but I think they're they're a little more inclined to uh, to defend their their opinion and and their point of view than the people who are more progressive
0: the other days. way pardon what is a liberal and a progressive Catholic these days how are we defining that
4: yeah. I'm going to this is a can of worms. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh,
3: I, would I can define it with a, a mirror,
0: but we're not going there.
1: <laughs>
3: you know, I think a, a, a very simplistic way of looking at it, and I realize this this is, you know, stark black and white, but there is the crisis Catholic and there's the commonwealth Catholic. And with the commonwealth Catholic or America or NCR Catholic— right being more progressive and more liberal and the crisis first things kind of Catholic, uh new uh new national catholic register ewtn kind of catholic being much more traditional minded and and more conservative
0: one of those
3: is open to the idea of women and maybe even women priests and the other one isn't uh and you can pretty much you know define in, in your mind where people fall
1: so how do, you, how do you maintain civility in those conversations and try to get something intelligent out of all that passion that is out there on these subjects? Oh, it's not easy.
3: <laughs> you know, for the longest time, when I first had my blog, uh, I had comments on the blog itself. And I spent so much of my time jumping in and breaking up fights with people. And having to correct mistakes because people would post things that were just inaccurate or wrong about church teaching or what the church says about one thing or another. So eventually I shut down. I actually got an email from a reader, a longtime reader who I respected a lot, who said, you know, it's really unpleasant to read your blog now because of the comments, mm-hmm. and is this really the platform that a Catholic deacon should be providing people? basically giving them an opportunity to fight with each other. And I thought about it and this person was right. So I ended up closing down the comments on my blog. And now the only comments that I allow are on uh, Facebook and Twitter. And I still have to jump in from time to time to, you know, uh, wag my finger at people and tell them to behave themselves. But people are much more, um, civil, uh, on Facebook than they were on the blog. But even that has changed uh, over the last few years, as we become more and more polarized, people are a lot less respectful and a lot less tolerant of people they disagree with. And that's, you know, the culture and it's disheartening.
1: So in your In your blogs, how much time, like the rest of us, do you spend explaining who a deacon is and what our mission is and and how we're so much different than the the rest of the clergy and and where we fit into this big church?
3: Well, most of my readers, I think, uh, have come to understand what deacons are and who we are and what we do. Periodically, people will weigh in with questions. Um... And it's interesting that people have different experiences with deacons. You get deacon lovers and deacon haters,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and sometimes that can be lay people, and sometimes that can be priests, uh, who have very strong feelings one way or another. And that can create an interesting dynamic. Then you get people who think that there should not be deacons, that uh, deacons are redundant uh, or unnecessary. Uh, sometimes I get seminarians and even priests who will uh, give opinions like that. And that's, that's a challenge to, to try and deal with that respectfully and to not (laughs) make matters worse.
1: Yeah. So many of them are seem to be fearful that we're somehow competition rather than collaborative.
3: Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of it is based on personal experience. Yes. I think If you've had a bad experience with the deacon you're gonna you know not want to have anything to do with them uh if you have had great experiences with deacons you're going to want them more to help out um i had an interesting experience at a diocese uh where i went to give a talk at a convocation of priests and they were having a real problem with vocations to the diaconate and the bishop in the diocese said a lot of that was because of the priests, because they would not encourage the vocation. Hmm. And they had had bad experiences, and they wanted nothing to do with deacons. And part of his motivation for inviting me to come and speak
0: was to say,
3: this guy's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: would you like get more guys like him? Yeah. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I think it's the, you know, the the, the experiences is when a, a deacon and a priest compliment each other is when the ministry really takes off. Well, I mean, we have men who have dedicated their lives to the Eucharist and gone through years of seminary. At the same time, I've paid college bills and sweat over a mortgage, and and still have to fight to get there on a Sunday. And and when we can complement each other in that regard, is is when it is when the magic happens, if you ask me.
1: I, and I think the the parishioners, the people out there in the pews, recognize that easily, because they hear our stories at the homilies, they see us, they see our children at basketball games, and they make that co- connection pretty easily, and they're often the ones that will take you aside and say, "I, you know, I, I can't talk to Father, but yeah. I can talk to you, or they can talk to our wives, and then our wives bring us over. I have an example. I yeah. talked about uh, my 401k in a homily, mm-hmm. and that the that,
0: that the... the Pressure of, of building a 401k versus building a life for eternity. And I don't believe the priest I was with really liked that homily at all. And I had several people with graying hair walk out afterwards and say, Oh my God, you nailed it. Thank you. That's exactly wow. what I worry about. And so I think it's also up to the deacon to say, You know, stand your ground. You know, yes. we <laughs> <laughs> you know we're not many priests. We're not meant to be many priests. I don't want to be a many priest. I have 30 years of experience in industry that you don't have. Let's work together, right? Yeah, Yeah,
3: and I think all of us at one time or another have had the kind of experience you describe, where someone will come up to you and say, Deacon, I have a problem and I'm not comfortable talking to Father about it, can I talk to you? And they feel that we get them and that we, we have a connection with them and an understanding of what their lives are like in a way that priests don't necessarily have.
2: And that's true. Um, I, I get that too. But sometimes you got people calling me uh, father, and and oh yeah, regardless, yeah. Of, regardless of how you correct them, I get called mother a lot. But that's yeah. of Chicago,
1: right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I had somebody after mass one time say, "Oh, thank you, Monsignor, that was such a beautiful mass." And I said, "Please, I'm only a deacon. Don't make it worse than it already is." <laughs> uh,
1: yes. I know when I was at, I'm at the hospital here, and I just retired from. It was all always. Pastor, pastor, you know. Yeah. So Protestants, you're always the pastor, no matter how you try to shape it. Well, yeah. Richard Hudzik, who is uh, the
0: vicar of Chicago, he goes out of his way as often as he can to says, "Deacons are not what you do; it's who you are." Yes. And, and exactly, and it's such a great talk. And then Dave, I think you could, uh, uh, as we go finishing our segment here, talk about your experience of uh, how deacons are treated in Tennessee.
4: Um. are very much accepted um sort of i guess i was that was what my experience in chicago also was that they're very much accepted but the invitation and the um i guess acceptance by the pastor was just automatically you know welcome to the family Mm -hmm. i mean there are an awful lot of northerners in the village that i live in so that helped us out as well as even some of my old parishioners down here but is very much accepted. Now people are reaching out to me if I could do, like, baptism preps with them and marriage preps. Um, they know I'm retired, you know, but I see a lot of the parishioners, and I'm walking my dog every morning. It's just They just started in the neighborhood, and uh, so they know that also I'm very approachable. But didn't you One tell of me? the other things that, um, it's just this is more on a personal end, that people down here, as I well was in the church, use titles an awful lot. Um, you know, Father, this, Deacon, this, and I tend to say, please don't use my title. You know, I happen to be ordained. My name's Dave. You know, I'm the same as you. We're walking the journey together. You know, let's approach it like that. And so, I think that attitude actually has a lot about how well you're accepted. Is clergy or, or not clergy that they see that you know you are holy per se, and that you're working the same journey and struggles that they have.
0: I do have to remind my parish occasionally, though, that please don't list me as list me as an extraordinary minister of communion. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but Dave, what what color is your is your uh, shirt with a collar?
4: Uh, when I have to wear one, is gray. How about you? But Dakin? generally, I I don't wear
0: one. I don't think any of us really wear one very often. But I don't know in Brooklyn, are you allowed to wear a black shirt, uh, Greg?
3: No, no, in Brooklyn we don't wear the collar at all, never.
0: Milwaukee, and it's a
3: it. subject of much discussion <laughs> up here.
0: So in
1: Chicago, they say wear it when you need to. In Milwaukee, and wear black. The year after I was ordained, uh, the Archbishop, the Archbishop opened it up, and uh, so so many of them do, and I will on in ministerial situations. In that that would include Sunday Mass. Uh, so there, it's it's used a lot more. I think the one time I wore it, it a nursing home, because I wanted the,
0: the ladies to feel, well, the ladies were there, ladies and gentlemen, but I wanted them to feel the church was there.
1: Especially Catholic nursing homes, yeah, right?
0: but you want you want them to feel the church was there. I very seldom wear it. I don't, uh, I can't think the last time I did My mother's funeral, I think, was the last time I wore one. Okay. But uh, <laughs> we're coming up on our second break here. You are listening to the Deacon's Roundtable with the great Deacon Condra and Mike Alondi and Eric Sewell and Dave Egan and Greg Webster, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Please join us on WSFI 88.5 FM.
3: My name is Father Dominic Pelosi I'm a member of the Priests of the Sacred Heart. I have been ordained for 41 years. St. Paul tells us how Shall they call on Jesus in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe unless they have heard of him? And how can they hear unless there is someone to preach? We have the opportunity for Catholic Radio to do exactly that, to bring the Word of God into our houses, but more importantly, into
0: our hearts. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online And we're back on the Deacon's Roundtable, WSFI 88.5 FM on your dial. We just heard that commercial for W for, for Catholic Financial Life with the great Matt Tomlinson. I love how he squeezes in at the very second. You know, some places aren't covered. I was wondering if he does it over dinner sometime, Angela, <laughs> is it uh, like strip your steak? It might be burnt, but I'm not going to tell you, and we're not covered or how we're going through there. But uh, Catholic Financial Life, what a great organization. So we're here with Tika Dave. Deacon Dave, and Deacon Mike, and Deacon Eric, and Deacon Greg, and the other real famous Deacon Greg. And we're going to take some time to ask them about some of the books that he's written. We have two books. That one is Mike, is, you know, on the radio, Mike, they can't see the book. It's <laughs> Busy Person's Guide to Prayer, which I I, uh, I thought was a very fun read. But since we're in the fall time of season, I'd like to talk to Greg a little bit about The Living Gospel, Advent Reflections for 2018. Do they still apply in 2019, Greg, or what are we doing? Here? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think you can still hear them. Uh, the book technically is out of print. Uh, they just print a limited number of them for the year, and they update them with different authors and make them specific to to the readings uh, depending on the cycle for for Advent. But Advent is timeless. Uh, you know, the the message is the same year in and year out uh, of, of prayer and waiting and expectation and being patient, and it's very hard to do that during <laughs> this this time of year when everything is hurry up and get it done, hurry up and get it done. And you know, I've got Thanksgiving coming up, and I've got Christmas, and I've got New Year's, and I've got parties and wrapping and gifting and all this other stuff. Uh, but we need to take time, I think, uh, with Advent, you know, fast approaching, to to take a deep breath and to think more deeply about. Uh, the birth of a savior, which is coming up very soon, just over a month from now.
0: What time of the year was it when you wrote the book?
3: Oh gosh, I think, <laughs> I think it was over the summertime, spring or summer when I wrote it. So so I had to use a lot of imagination. It's
0: kind of mm-hmm. like it's a good, it's a, it's a good life where they're doing it. the, the snow scene in the uh, California, eighty degree weather and stuff. <laughs> How'd you get in the Advent right. in the middle of the summer?
2: Anyway. Deacon Webster here, Greg Webster, I think is telling me I need to pray. So he hands me this book, The Busy Prayer, by Deacon Greg Kanda. Actually, he threw it at me. So, <laughs> Deacon Greg, can you tell us more about this? Busy well, this Prayer. Well, interesting.
3: Yeah. The, uh, the folks at, uh, I, I got an email, the way all this started, <coughs> uh, a couple of years ago, I got an email from a publisher I'd never heard of or I heard of the publisher, but this person dropped into my email box and said, I have an idea for a book. And I've been approached many times by people asking me if I would write a book, and I always said, I, I'd love to, I just don't have the time. Well, this was something that was right up my alley. The idea was to do a book about prayer for people who were too busy to pray. And they said, you know, we've been getting a lot of requests from from people who are interested in that kind of book. How can I find time to pray? How can you help me find the time to pray? And they talked about some of the ideas that they had and ways of weaving prayer into your life. And I said, you know, this is something I can relate to. as it, it, The working title was The Busy Person's Guide to Prayer. And they said, what do you think? And I said, well, as a busy person who often has a, a challenging time, finding time to pray, I can relate. And so we talked about it, and I said, okay, I'll do it. And uh, it was published in March, and uh, doing very well. People seem to be responding to it. I'm very pleased with the way it turned out.
0: What I like best about the book is that it's a book for busy people, and it's not war and peace, right? (laughs) (laughs) You have have time to, you know, the, the chapters hit a point, move on, and then move on to another one instead of dragging it out. I, I thought that was a very that, that, that process worked <laughs> well. Well, it was just the,
3: the same thing with the Advent book. And uh, by the way, Ave Maria, which published the, uh, the Advent book, is publishing Reflections of Mine for Lent uh, next next year. In fact, that's already available. But the great thing about the, the Advent book, the Lent book, and the prayer book is everything is kind of short. And as I said to my editor, I said, I'm not really good at writing long. I'm better at writing short because I tend to get bored with myself. <laughs> so this you know was right in my wheelhouse
2: I'm looking at the book here, it says chapter 7, can you hear me now the power of silence uh, I, I don't know if you could elaborate a little bit on that, silence always amazes me when it comes to prayer because I know a lot of people would pray, wrote prayer they would talk and, and usually they don't know how to deal with just sitting quietly and listening to the Lord <laughs>
3: And, you know, this is something that really was driven home to me when I made one of my first retreats uh, to the Trappist Monastery down in, in Georgia. Being up at four in the morning and going and sitting in the Abbey Church and spending time in silent prayer was overwhelming to me. And I wasn't expecting it. I thought it would be boring and I would fall asleep, but it was so rich. And if we are open to it, and we open our hearts to it, and we leave ourselves open to listen to what god is trying to say to us it can be beautiful and one of the points i try to drive home i think in that chapter is that prayer is not a monologue it's a dialogue and we need to have a conversation with god and listen to what he's saying to us and find opportunities for quiet which is not as easy as it used to be it gets harder and harder as time goes on we live in such a busy frenetic time but to find opportunities to just shut the door and have five or 10 minutes alone with yourself and and God and your heart, uh, can be transformative.
0: Why do we fear the silence, Derek, Greg?
3: I think, uh, we don't trust it. We're afraid that we'll get bored. Um, and we, I think a big part of it is opening up our hearts to, to the experience and to not necessarily having any expectations. Uh, You know, one of the things that we tend to like about rote prayer and doing prayers that are written for us or prayers in books is it's there and there's a formula to follow. And silent prayer really, you know, the guardrails are down, and it it doesn't have any rules, and you just have to be open to to the Spirit. And um, I think that's a little intimidating to people. And sometimes people, you know, one of the things that I, I try to drive home in the book, sometimes people can't find the words to say to God. And so I've composed short prayers for people who may feel they can't find the words to help them, uh, you know, sort of give them a, a guide to, to speak more easily with God.
0: And so, you use small words so I could use them, so thank <laughs> you. So great.
4: Because <laughs> one of the things that I have is a, a plaque on my wall, my office that I'm looking at at the moment. It's listen and silent. They have the same letters coincidence oh,
3: i think nice. i think
4: that's that that sort of hits home where i think what you're
1: saying so Greg, i'm looking you, uh,
3: at a a plaque that i have in my office right now that's not that dissimilar it says bidden or not bidden god is present
1: very good <laughs>
0: Mine says cheer for the Chicago Bears. We can't do that at all right (laughs) now. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That hurts. Um, So, Greg, I have a question for you. Especially morning prayer, when you have serious morning prayer, do you experience particularly a busy fellow like you that it actually creates time in your day, that uh, things that you are concerned about, worried about, that some of those obstacles are all of a sudden cared for and taken care of and that actually gives you more time to be creative?
3: Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I've discovered over the years is, um, I mean, it, it's a cliche that a, a, a day woven in prayer will never unravel, but I found that a day that begins with prayer and with heartfelt prayer and sincere prayer uh, is always a better day, mm. and it always goes more smoothly, and you get the grace to somehow bear what would normally drive you crazy, <laughs> um, by giving your day over to God and saying, here, you take the wheel <laughs> and see what, what I'm supposed to do.
0: And I find, you know, we, there are days we are running around like idiots, and, and I put morning prayer in my Outlook calendar to remind me as well, mm-hmm. but uh, I've, I've adapted the mantra that it's morning somewhere. <laughs> 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 gonna do no when you start exactly. right? but you know we, we have to instead of beating ourselves for missing it yes we should be have discipline but we say you know let's just start praying you know and keep the praying don't stop yourself from praying and, and getting back to what you were saying greg about the silence is i have a, a good buddy i can't get him to go to a silent retreat which we're doing at saint raphael at uh we're inviting people to go on february 7th at the redemptive retreat house in in, in uh, in Wisconsin, so please see the Saint Raphael Bolton and join us. But uh, I have a friend who's, who's afraid of a silent retreat, and and I was him. I was him ten years ago. I wanted nothing to do with a silent retreat, and then I went on one, and ah, oh, so beautiful. I didn't have to be sociable. That was a good part. <laughs> but the other part was, you know, <laughs> I shut up and let the Lord do the ta- do the talking, which I should do on the radio too. But. Uh, what a great experience and it's just getting people to try it you know i think that's the biggest challenge my, my my millennial daughter they want nothing to do with silence they don't know what to do with silence right they freak out when the silence. the headphones go on and everything else but uh i think one of the great things that we we need to bring back into the church is that period of silence the shut up after communion turn off the music yeah say a prayer right yeah it I was agree, interesting. I,
3: I I gave a a talk, a series of talks at a parish in New Jersey a couple of years ago uh, for CNEWA, where I work, and they had they had it was a huge parish. It must have had five or six masses on the weekend, and every mass was different. Every mass had a different style of music. They had traditional music. They had a folk mass. They had a rock mass at six o'clock on Sunday night. But the first mass on Sunday morning at seven a.m. Sunday morning was a silent Mass with no music, just the simple prayers of the Mass. And there was a simplicity and a purity to it that I I really appreciated. (laughs) They sing at all the Masses we have at my parish here in Queens. So it was interesting to experience Sunday Mass without any of that.
2: One of the things uh, I noticed in my own parish is we have this day in a month where we have adoration for the whole day. And uh, we would do the reposition at the end of the day and... Most of the time I'll have two or three people uh, doing the adoration. It seems people need to begin to understand the power of silence, the power of sitting there with the Lord and waiting for the Lord to to communicate with them. But uh, somehow it's a, an uphill battle for us.
3: And, you know, the other point that I try to make in the book is, you know, we're, we're told in Scripture to pray without ceasing. Well, how do you do that and my answer is one of the ways that you do that is by making everything you do a prayer and with the right intention and the right frame of mind and the right spirit i think almost anything that we do in our lives can be a prayer offered up for the glory of god Mm
1: -hmm. saint
3: francis take two (laughs) yeah
0: So, Deacon Greg, if I can ask in a few minutes that we have left, what is the Catholic Near East Welfare Association? Ah, Kanaewa, yes, CNEWA.
3: that's that's my day job. Uh, I'm the writer and multimedia editor for CNEWA. We are an agency of the Holy See, we were founded by Pope Pius XI in 1926, and we provide uh, both humanitarian and pastoral and spiritual support for people in the Eastern Catholic churches uh, in the Middle East, the Horn of Africa, parts of India, and parts of Eastern Europe. And uh, I'd like to tell people I'm the only person who went from working for Katie Couric to working for the Pope. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's a great organization. We have offices all around the world. We do a tremendous amount of work with refugees right now. And uh, and with poor people around the world, and um, I would encourage people to visit our website, CNEWA.org. They can learn more about what we do and the wonderful work that we're carrying on on behalf of the Holy Father.
0: So, in your experience, bringing the, in the blog a little bit, uh, how's the Holy Father doing these days? Is do the do the is the uh, the blog getting a lot of positive feedback on our Holy Father? Is it getting less positive feedback on the Holy Father? Where would you say the Holy Father is doing these days?
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's amazing to me, and I hear this a lot in from deacons who will comment on stories about the, the Pope for one reason or another. I get a lot of deacons who are very unhappy with him and find him to be very confusing. And I get other deacons who feel he's a breath of fresh air, and that he is uh, calling the Church to, to be what we're supposed to be, which is reaching out to the poor and the outcast and the discarded and the marginalized. Uh, I tend to fall into the latter camp. I don't find the Pope to be all that confusing. Um, but uh, it's interesting. There's a lot of debate, and there's a lot of discussion going on that you never would have seen you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, from people who who are struggling with what the Pope is saying and and what he's trying to impart to people, is that the same
4: as John the Twenty Third was back in the fifties? I don't know.
3: Uh, that's that's an interesting question. Uh, I'm I'm not an expert on John the Twenty Third or the way that he was, uh, you know, perceived by the public. Uh, okay. I imagine hmm. probably more Paul the Sixth. With the changes of Vatican II, that was probably more disruptive to a lot of people.
0: But the media for those guys, you could actually trust us to print what he actually said, which was a little challenging today. (laughs) (laughs) But I think the the interesting for me is I have some I have a friend who who fancies himself as uh, an agnostic atheist, whatever you want to call himself. Because I really like this pope, and I said why, and he really couldn't answer me why. And I said, well, what has he done differently that John? Pope, uh, Pope Paul and and Pope John Paul and Benedict, what has he done differently? He said it differently, but has he actually done anything different? I said, could you give me an example? No. <laughs> 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 I, th- I think you know we all were we're waiting for that example to come by all means. But sit back and relax, guys. The Holy Spirit's in charge. And exactly. And, and, and where has the Church moved so radically in the last how many years? He's been. You know, the conversation' right. have gone different, but, but where's the trist- And you know, this is,
3: when I uh, first started uh, speaking about the Pope, uh, not too long after his installation, I said again and again and again, whenever people found out, you know, that I'm a deacon and they found out what I do, no matter what religion they were, no matter what their background was, the first thing they said to me was, I love the Pope. Uh, he just resonated with people. Uh, in such a powerful way. And I think that's still out there.
0: And I think it's important that we pray for the Pope. So, Greg, would you do us the honor of, of ending our show in a prayer? And uh, don't let us also remember uh, Deacon Dave's mother. May she rest in peace. And uh, would, could you give us a prayer, Dave, uh, Greg, before we uh, finish out our second Absolutely.
3: Here? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together. And for giving us an opportunity to share our faith, to share our souls, to share the Spirit, and to share your word with all who may hear it. We ask you that you bless all who are hearing our words right now, all who are seeking you and drawing closer to you with a pure heart. We ask that you impart your blessings on all those in need at this particular time of year, and we invoke in a special way. We ask for the blessing and the intercession of soon-to-be-blessed Fulton Sheen, one day the patron saint of communications and broadcasting, who influenced so many and is continuing to influence others around the world. And we ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ.
0: Amen. 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 Deacon Greg, thank you for joining us. For those in our listening audience, you can find Deacon Greg at the Deacon's Bench on the Internet. You can find him on Amazon.com for his books, I guess, or ABE books for the, uh, the, the Advent Reflections. But we wish you all the best, and we thank you for joining us on WSFI 88.5 FM on your dial.